welcome to episode 114 of the Her Story Speaks podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andrea Miller. I have to say, I cannot wait to introduce you to my guests for this episode. And I know I say this often, but I promise you are going to fall in love with my guest today. I know because I just instantly connected with her and didn't want our conversation to end. Sarah Cunningham is an author, activist, and founder of the nonprofit Free Mom Hugs. In this episode, she shares her journey that began in conservative Oklahoma when her son Parker came out as gay. As a woman of faith, Sarah wrestled with the news for years until she began to study, research, and reconcile the two worlds. This journey resulted in her book, How We Sleep at Night, where she shares her story from the conservative church to the pride parade, where she finally got herself there. She fell in love with the LGBTQIA community, where the mission of free mom hugs began. Sarah's simple act of love and acceptance turned into a viral sensation, and she knew she had the opportunity to lead impactful change with love. In our conversation, Sarah shares these pivotal parts of her journey that led her to finally create Free Mom Hugs, which is now a movement across the country and the world to love and support the LGBTQ community. Sarah has appeared many times with her son Parker on the Today Show, the RuPaul Show, and spoke at the 2019 GLAAD Awards. She's also been featured in many national publications, including the Washington Post, Women's Day Magazine, and People Magazine. Sarah is currently in partnership with Jamie Lee Curtis, who's purchased the rights to her book and will release a movie based on her story. Listen in and be inspired as Sarah shares her story really an honor just to be in this space with you and to have this conversation, Sarah. Well, thank you. Thank you. I feel the same about what you're doing. We're just doing what we can to change the world, right? That's we're right. We're just, we're just moms trying to yeah. uh, make the world a better place for our kids and all the kids that come after and everybody's kids really. Yeah. So, and like you, I believe that stories, our stories do have the power to change the narrative. And that's why I'm just passionate to keep sharing stories like yours, because all this stuff swirling around with legislation and hey, it's like, sometimes it can get really hopeless. But I think if we continue to show love and keep sharing these stories of love, I mean, it's it's got to start changing hearts and minds. And it is. So thank you for showing up today, Sarah. I guess we'll just go ahead and jump in, right? I kind of feel like we've started. Do you have questions for me? You've done this like a zillion times times with other yeah there's just nothing taboo um i an open book uh so whatever you want to know and that right there is oprah or ruthie underneath the covers oh i see i'm like oprah where's oprah (laughs) oh under the covers your little dog yeah 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 she is either there or right behind me in my chair so you're so fine. And I could have dogs barking. I could have dogs barking and this is real life. So anything that happens is fine. So Sarah, we will just jump right in. Sarah Cunningham, welcome. welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'd just love to start with you sharing where you are in the world, who you live with, kind of what your day-to-day life looks like and all of that. All right. I am, I want to say I'm a grown-ass woman. Uh, <laughs> I live in Oklahoma City, born and raised here. I met my husband young. We married young. Uh, we have two beautiful children together, uh, Travis and Parker, and uh, we all live in Oklahoma and we see each other at least once a week. Uh, my husband and I live in our home for probably 38 years now, and uh, I'm a woman of faith. 
I, I'm just an average person who turned into a founder of a national nonprofit called Free Mom Hugs. I, I love that you wanted to say I'm a grown ass woman because as I'm as I'm approaching 50, I finally feel like I can say that now that I've like left behind like the world's beliefs and constrictions and everything. I'm like, mm-hmm. I am finally a grown ass woman who can make my own decisions and believe what I believe. So yeah. I, I actually embrace that you wanted to start that way. <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to say I'm a grown ass woman and I do what I want and I'm approaching 60. I'll be 60 next month. Okay. And I was in my forties before I kind of realized, you know what? I don't have to get along with everybody. You know, uh, my generation, we were raised to never question authority, to never talk mm-hmm. about sex or money. And that's how we got into this mess that we're in today, politically speaking. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm cordial to everyone. I want to get along with everyone, but I don't have to be everyone's best friend. And not everyone Mm -hmm. is going to love me. And it's hard coming to you is in my 40s. I mean, I I don't even know this. Like I was not born raised. We lived in Oklahoma for the last three years ago. Before that, we lived in Owasso for eight, nine years. So I was very... Yes. I was very entrenched in the fundamental conservative church there. And then I started, actually it was this podcast. I started listening to stories that were different, that challenged me, a queer pastor that came on and yeah, like you lose a lot. You have to be prepared for not everybody to like you and to lose friends and community. But what you gain is just so, so much more. Um, And I feel like that's kind of part of your, your story as well. And becoming who you were really, I think this is who you were supposed to be. And so much of that is letting go of all that other bullshit. Yeah. And sometimes, like you said, letting go. But, you know, I think about that time, that, that season, if you will, that season in our lives and at that pivotal moment, when we realize there is so much more to this world than that bubble we were in and we've lost so much. But again, like you said, what we've gained is I think, like you said, our, our calling. That's right. Well, let's go back. We're kind of, we're jumping ahead. I love, I mean, I could sit and probably have coffee with you, Sarah, and talk all afternoon. So <laughs> I have mine here. We are having coffee. Um, but let's go back because the listeners might be like, what are they talking about? What, what is Sarah's story? So <laughs> I want to start with. So we've said it that you like me, born, raised in very conservative, evangelical, fundamentalist church. You were enmeshed in that, not enmeshed. You were just involved with that in your all adult, most of your adult life. You are raising two sons and no, you're good. So you have two sons that you're also raising in that. Now your son, Parker, you kind of start noticing he's a little more out of the box, maybe not fitting in. I have one of those children too. And thank God for them. Right. I mean, they're the ones that are making, going to make this world a better place mm-hmm. So at age 10. Is that right? Parker comes to you and says, mom, I think I'm gay. Yeah. Yeah. That's so what takes us back to that moment. Yes. Uh, well, if I could, there was pivotal moments in our life as a, a family and as a mother and with child. Um, but I think the very first glimpse I have of Parker being gay is when he was five years old. He was upstairs. Uh, we have a two-story home and he came barreling down the stairs in a pair of my heels and one of my summer dresses. And we were in the kitchen and he twirled around in that kitchen until his hair was wet with sweat. I had never seen that expression on his face or complete and utter joy from this beautiful young boy. And that was my first picture of what 
might have been happening. Did but, you work with it? Did that concern you in that moment? I mean, so much anti-trans um, stuff right now and fear with that, like in that moment, did that, did that concern you? Um, I would say perplexed and I wasn't concerned at that point because I thought, well, it's just his personality because he and his brother are completely different. And so that was just part of his personality. So uh, concern, I didn't get concerned until later in later life. Um, but when he was 10, he had the vocabulary to start talking about it. And he would try to have conversations at the kitchen sink after dinner walks, things like this, that he felt different than the other boys at school. And he noticed that there was a difference in how he uh, behaved and the friends that he um, had. And he was getting teased and bullied at school because of his, uh, because he was a little more, more feminine than the other boys. Mm -hmm. See, And, but I thought it was just a phase. I just encouraged him to just get through school and, um, you are not happy. I mean, you, you share in your book, um, which we'll put the link to you have, you're an author of a book called, um, how we sleep at night. And so you, I read that book this past week and you share in that, like you were not happy when he said that you were just very confrontational. Like, how do you know that? And like, really was, you were not going to have it. Yeah, no. And the fact that he felt safe enough to tell you. I know, right? And I blew it. I blew it. Please, parents, precious parents, please learn from this conversation. Do not do what I did. Uh, Parker was 10. He tried to have the conversation. I thought it was a phase. I just wanted to encourage him to get through school. But when he was 15, he was really desperate to get this message through my thick skull. And I was not having it by this time. We're raising our children in the evangelical conservative church, much like you probably went to in Owasso, Oklahoma. And uh, we absorbed this idea that homosexuality is wrong, that something was wrong with Parker, that maybe I was overbearing or my husband was too distant. You know, all the scenarios you try to point to what happened or what you could have done differently. So I was listening to another interview of yours and I don't know if it was in the book or that interview, but you said like, it was literally your worst fear that one of your kids would be gay. I mean, that was like in your mind so heavily from the church that like they are, that's a ticket to hell. And yeah. you had that fear in your body. So your son saying this to you now twice at a young age was mm-hmm. like, Oh my God. Yeah. I feared for his salvation. Yeah. Uh, First and foremost, I was frozen in that fear that he was going to burn for eternity in hell and hearing those words come out of my mouth now. Oh my gosh. I feel so duped. I know Sarah, I'm with you. Like when I start, when I get like, even reading your book was a little bit like, oh my God, I can't believe I believe that being out of it for so long. I'm just, how did I believe that? Like how? So I understand you, Sarah, I I get that feeling. You're just so, but at this time you did not know better. I did not know better. We are doing what we had been taught and born and raised in. So when Parker comes out to you a second time, you're very upset. You're yelling at him. You're like, this is, this is not, this is not true. I don't know why you're thinking this. So yeah, go on from there. Yeah. And I remember exactly where we were in the house, having that conversation. It was late at night. And I, I just, and that was the prompting of the, the book title, how we sleep at night, because I know I didn't get any sleep that night, you know, and I don't know how Parker got to sleep because we left that, we, that conversation was not resolved. It ended badly. I shamed him. And I really thought that he was taking that path straight to hell. And I was frozen in that fear. And I remember confiding with my husband that very night, I woke him up, he was asleep already. And I said, Rex, you know, 
Parker just told me that he's gay. And Rex, you know, he said he woke up and he said, well, what are we what are you going to do about it? What can we do about it? You know, he took it a lot easier. He has cousins who are gay. And so he was a thank God, a, a safe place for Parker, whereas I just made life really miserable for several years. Yeah. And so those several years, you took a long time wrestling with this. This was not like in a couple of months you came to terms like you really were facing this reality and wrestling and reaching out to pastors and church friends, all of this. And you're and you're not getting really any answers. If anything, you're feeling more alienated and also a lot more fear for your son. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like he was already damned. I was frozen in that fear. And as I tried to talk to our peers, our friends that we had built relationships for over 20 years within this church family, and they just didn't know what to do with us. They didn't know how to minister. We didn't know how to minister to each other. And it was devastating uh, because suddenly not only was my son a sinner, but as I tried to not only accept him, but to in you know a sort of way support him or just help him through this journey of self-discovery, that made me a sinner too. Right. You were trying to love him and the church that very conservative expects like almost a total rejection of our children. Like if we're loving and accepting in any way, then we're like an aid to that sin. We're condoning it. Mm -hmm. And that makes us a sinner too. You share so many details in your book. Then again, Parker comes to you. And I, I believe this is when he wants you to meet. He's maybe 20 at this time in December, 2010. And he wants you to meet his boyfriend. And he says to you, mom, please try to understand that I sucked it up for 20 years being your son. I need you now. I need you to suck it up and be my mom. Yeah. yeah. Was that a turning point for you? I'm guessing. Yeah. I, I call those pivotal moments in my life. I was depressed in my bed and he came and he, he laid down beside me and he said, are you going to be okay? And that's when he said that. And it got me out of bed. I thought, how selfish am I? You know, it just was a pivotal moment, kind of put me in check. Cause at this time I, I thought I was the only mom in the world with these crazy thoughts in my head. And uh, I didn't know where to turn, but I just went to my room and I stayed in my room for a long time. You know, this shows exactly why, you know, the suicide rate, the self-harm rate, the homelessness rate is so high for LGBTQ plus youth because they're, the church is almost supporting, like depending on the church, but this rejection from the home and from parents and the shame that they carry with them when they can't even find that love and acceptance at home. And I know at one part you were talking about how you just were praying for him all the time. Wasn't God answering? And Parker said, you don't, you think I've been praying too? Like he didn't, he didn't want this. He didn't want to be causing his mom like this hurt and shame. So he's, he's wrestling so much too, as a child with this. Yeah. That's why on my Facebook page, I say, no one has searched God themselves or the scriptures more than the gay Christian or their mother. Mm. And, um, it can be a a devastating, isolating time. I mean, even now I I get emotional thinking about what I put him through, what I put our family through. And that's why, uh, I've been so transparent about this because no family should go through what, what we went through. No child should, you know, and it happens still happening. Oh, it's happening so, so often. And I just like, that is why I beg people just share this episode with a friend that might be going through it. Or if you're still immersed in the church and wrestling, like you have to listen to stories like this. And I've shared others before. And I just think that that is what's going to keep changing when we hear moms like real life living this. 
So when Parker comes to you and that was like a pivotal point for you, you meet, you do meet, you meet his boyfriend, but you still at that time you're wrestling. Okay. I'm going to love him. I'm going to love both the sinner and hate the sin. But you're like, you're still wrestling with like, how to do that. Well, how do I hate this boy that he's in love with? Like that doesn't. So share a little bit about your, your wrestling that you're continuing to wrestle. Right. I had, um, you know, Parker at that point, also, he said, mom, I want you in every area of my life, but how much of that is up to you? Oh, and this is before I thought, am I going to, you know, have Parker and his uh, boyfriend at the time in the house? I mean, what if they kiss? That was my immature thought process by then. But, um, you know, I thought, well, I wanted to meet him and I did. And when I, I wrote in the book, it's like, when I saw this young man, this beautiful young man and heard his story that changed my heart and mind. And I saw self-harm marks on his arm. And he shared those with us, my husband and I and Parker. And it, uh, it moved me so much that I wrote, I had my first glimpse of unconditional love. Mm -hmm. And it was that young man in flesh and bone. And he shared his faith. He shared his life and completely alienated from his family and he survived all of that. And now here he was thriving and had his own place and had a good job. And, you know, it just showed me that you can be gay and, and be a person of faith. That's right. Uh, not necessarily swinging from the chandeliers or parading around nude in the street. That's I mean, right. I just had this preconceived idea that was just so far from I, any. I think that's what the conservative church, politicians, whatever, tried to tell us. Like that's where we need to be a fearful of LGBTQ people because they are whatever swinging from the chandeliers, trying to get our children. Like that's the image. And that's so far from the truth. Which yeah. you see when you finally get yourself. So you continue to wrestle. Like we're really skimming over things because finally in 2014, you find yourself at a Oklahoma city gay pride parade. Mm -hmm. So you really wrestled, but you found yourself there. Was there a, a certain incident that got you there at that parade? Or had you been working up to that or tell us oh, a little yes. bit what got you there? Yeah. In fact, the last chapter of the book was inspired by that experience. And I knew very little about pride. I really, I didn't know the significance of a little gay bar in New York city called the Stonewall Inn and the history. It just up until this time in our lives, it didn't matter to me. It wasn't of significance until I have a gay son. So, but it was meeting the community there and those pivotal moments. And I went there with the mindset, like, God, I prayed fervently, God, I want to see you there. I want to see your favor there. Because even at the time of going to the pride festival, I was still on the fence of my understanding and learning about the community. And it was my first real interaction intentionally with the gay community. And it was there that when I entered into that space on 39th street in Oklahoma city and there's banners and rainbow flags and just love is so, uh, the sense of community was so profound. There was no mistaking it at all. Like I had walked into, I walked into a community of, of love there was no judgment, no, I, I don't know how else to explain it other than it was a spiritual moment. I, I believe that. And I, I mean, as you're saying that, and I know some people will balk at this, I, I think God's presence is way more in a pride parade with that community than 
in the altars on most churches on Sunday. You know what I, I think it is to me is the essence of humanity. Yes. yes. You see expressions of gender identity and sexual orientation and the freedom of that. And it's beautiful. There's nothing to me. There is nothing perverted, nothing um, offensive. Once I could see through the lens of love, nothing offended, nothing was perverted, nothing. There, there was just nothing but love there. So you say that you, you just shared that you were still wrestling when you went to that parade, mm-hmm. but then you just saw like, oh my gosh, this is, this is love. This is love in action. Did you ever, uh, did you abandon your faith or did you come just to terms with, um, with a more loving lens with your faith? Like, I'm, I'm curious kind of how you wrestled with that. Cause you said, one of the things you said, I was clinging to my faith, but my faith was, was killing me. So, you know, some of us, like, I, I don't necessarily identify as a Christian anymore. I still have a faith, but it's, I found it really hard to have that identity because there's so much hate mm-hmm. from that group. So I'm just curious how you came to terms with like, no, I still, I'm going to identify this way and I still have my faith and maybe a stronger one. Yeah, absolutely stronger. I experience uh, what I believe to be God, Yeah, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and humanity to a greater degree that I ever thought possible. And I do remember a time I had a wooden cross hanging from my rear view mirror and I took it down because I felt guilty by association. Once I was seeing, because once you're aware of what's happened uh, throughout the whole church history, it's you do. I mean, I felt guilty by association and like you, I no longer identify as a Christian, but rather than a woman of faith. Mm -hmm. I believe in God. I do love the scriptures. Although there was a time that I, it was difficult to read them because I had the lens of judgment. When I read the scriptures, it was always like, how can it make people better? Or how can it fix people? Or how can it rather than a love letter expressing a God that loves us and wants us to love people, period. There's no shame. I believe that shame is the sin. That's so when we shame each other, when we shame ourselves, that's the sin. But another friend analogy that I have to share is from my friend, Liz Dyer. She facilitates, she'd make an awesome guest, Andrea She facilitates the, the mama bear private online Facebook group for moms with gay kids. But she talks about the fruit of the spirit. And when we are working in and offering in love. The fruit of the spirit is love and God is love. Mm -hmm. So the fruit of the spirit is empowering. It's in lifting, it's healing, it's life giving. That's right. And it's that fruit that I believe is from God that works through us to each other. That's right. And to ourselves. So if the fruit that we are producing in whatever it is we're doing in whatever capacity in your podcast or with free mom hugs or, you know, working at the vet store, whatever it is that you're producing, is it good fruit or bad fruit? And the fruit doesn't lie. The fruit does not lie. And so that's when I know that free mom hugs is doing good, fruitful work. I love that. I love that, especially if you look at the reverse lens of what, what is the fruit of the shame and the rejection and the hate that the, that the church is giving mm-hmm. it's causing self-harm, suicide, home, like all of that. That's, that's rotten fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so I love that, love that lens. So 
I could keep talking about that, Sarah, but we'll move forward. So 2015 as the next date I have on my timeline, that's kind of a pivotal, pivotal moment in your, in your journey. And you're at the Oklahoma city pride festival and you're wearing a button. So take us back there. And what happens? Oh, is that the exact button? Yeah. I don't know if you can see it, but there's still glitter in there from the. Okay. I need you to put that up so I can take a quick screenshot. Is that okay? Let me see. Yeah. See if I can get it in there. Good. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I've not taken pictures in the middle of a podcast, but that's, that's a pretty special one. So the button that Sarah just showed me was her little handmade button that says free mom hugs. So you wore that in 2015. So take us back to then. Yeah. 2015. By this time I'm meeting the community. I'm volunteering uh, for the pride group, attending PFLAG meetings and just really getting involved in the community. And so, uh, but through that, I'm hearing their stories and they're devastating. So I made the homemade button and I went to the pride festival. By this time I'm affirming I'm all in. I believe that uh, being gay is a gift to the world, a beautiful dynamic to families and the world around us now. But I, I did start hearing about how families were our young kids are living out of their cars, couch surfing, self-harm, the at-risk behavior, and just learning about all the things that affect the gay community. So I made the homemade button and the first hug with anyone who made eye contact with me, I would say, could I offer you a free mom hug or a high five? Cause not everybody's a hugger. And so the first hug I gave went to a beautiful young woman who said it had been four years since she got a hug from her mother because she's a lesbian. And from that experience, we started the nonprofit free mom hugs. And this button is our logo and it's recognized worldwide. And it says, I'm a good and faithful ally. When you wear a button or a sticker or anything rainbow, whether it's free mom, hugs, PFLAG, Equality Center, you know, draw a rainbow and put it somewhere. And that just sends a message that you are a strong and faithful ally. And I I have one of your shirts and I wear it proudly. And I especially wear it in situations where I'm around youth just to like, know, like I'm a safe person. And And I'm curious, you, you know, the reaction you get, you know, if you can't use your words at the time. Yes. I think it's like, you know, I'm in still conservative spaces and sometimes I think people cringe a little, but then I also get some affirmation of like, yeah, like you're a good person or like closeness or talking, you know what I mean? Like you can just, you can sense and you don't have to have this full out long conversations, but for youth and people to just know, like you are a safe person. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, you're going to get people that cringe and don't like the shirt, but to me, like what, what's that outweigh? I'd much rather admit love to people that need it and that need that hug and just that connection. So just one affirming person lowers the suicide at risk behavior, self-harm by 40%. That's the last numbers I saw from the human rights campaign. It's even more for our transgender friends and family. Wow. Sarah, that just gave me goosebumps. I just was not familiar with that statistic. That's huge. So that's, I mean, that is the motivation. Yeah. Yeah. That's the motivation behind your organization. So you say like when you were sharing that, like I wore the button and then we started free mom hugs. That just didn't happen overnight. (laughs) Did you just realize, oh my gosh, this, this is generating a lot of love interest. And I, I feel like God's putting on me, like I need to start this into something bigger. Yeah. Well, after that year, you know, I started meeting other moms with gay kids in the area. By this time I joined a private online Facebook group for moms with gay kids, making those connections, finding that support, getting educated on things like the history of human sexuality, science and evidence, and even what scripture says, which is nothing about homosexuality. And then, but I met other moms in Oklahoma city who have gay kids 
And so we started helping out with second chance prom or a transgender Valentine's banquet or just helping out being that loving presence. And so we made a free mom hugs banner and there's some pictures of it on our website, but on our Facebook page, even, but we made a free mom hugs banner and we marched with it in the 2016 pride parade. And we had people coming over the barricades for hugs. It was incredible. And that's when I knew And then the community got to know us and there were like three moms and we would help with bus passes or pay the phone bill or get a safe place until they could get safe housing, anything that a mother would do for their child. And then I had started meeting couples who were falling in love, getting engaged and a couple asked if I would officiate their wedding. By now I've, I've been called the accidental activist because I'm accountable to things that I'm learning and I'm speaking up in my city and state about the laws that are affecting my, my child. And so, um, I started officiating same-sex weddings and that's something I had to search out too. And I do honor same-sex marriage just as holy as my own. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I started hearing about couples whose family were refused to come to the wedding or not acknowledging the relationship. So, I made it that social media post that went viral. And right, so 2018, you did, you made a media post and so, uh, tell us, I know what it says, but sure yeah. with my listeners, what that post said. Yeah. Well, it's a picture of myself with, and I have my hand in the air, like I'm raising my hand and I wrote, if your biological mom won't come to your same sex wedding, then you call me. I'll be there. I'll be your biggest fan. I'll even bring the bubbles. Mm. And that post went viral And that's people from all over the world said, well, I'll stand in too. I'll stand in too. In fact, there is a man named Daniel Blevins. He made a similar post on Instagram or TikTok a couple of years back and his post went viral. He's a member of the community. He offered to be a stand-in dad. That post went viral. And guess what? He has a Facebook page called Stand In Pride. And it, I don't know how many thousands of members are there, but they just stand in people for graduations, for births of babies, for, you know, housewarming for, you know, whatever it is. And it's a wonderful organization, but that all started and he, he didn't have to, but he gave me credit for being inspired by my post and he's a wonderful young man. And anyway, I'm thrilled for him. So I, was that eye opening for you to see the response? Did you think that this is going to be a huge go viral, be a huge response that so many people wanted a mom to stand by them at their wedding or an event? Yeah, no, I had no idea. I was, I posted that late at night out of frustration because I had just left a rehearsal dinner and heard this couple talk about how their, you know, parents let them know that they're not coming to the wedding and they don't ever want to meet the partner. And they were devastated. They knew there was some alienation there, but to get that message to be so finalized, you know, in that way, and it was devastating. So I went home and I felt so bad for this couple. And that's why I made the post. No idea. It would have the reaction. It did soon people, I wasn't in a position to stand in movement, uh, because I already had free mom hugs. Right. People thereafter found out about free mom hugs and wanted to do what we were doing here in Oklahoma. And so that's when free mom hugs chapters started popping up. Then 
we planned a transgender Valentine's banquet for here in Oklahoma. And I was raising money to have that banquet so I could offer it free to the community and those who love and support them. And this is kind of a funny story, but a woman, you know, reached out to me and said, I want to send you $500 to help with that banquet, but I can only give it to a profit organization. And by that time, I didn't even know how to run a nonprofit. No idea. I was a secretary for an architectural firm at the time, small small office. So I got to talking to a friend, long story short, we started a nonprofit so we could get that $500 and guess what? Never sent the money. (laughs) She never sent the money and she's helped in other areas since then. Remember that it's like, that's the only thing that prompted me to start. So we can throw this banquet for uh, this beautiful community. Oh my goodness. I did not know that part of the story. So what year was that then officially free mom hugs became a nonprofit? That that would have been in 2016, but we umbrellaed under another nonprofit. Gotcha. And when the post went viral and it caught the attention of Jamie Lee Curtis, who acquired the rights to the book, a lot has happened in a short amount of time. But around like 2018 or 19, we left that umbrella and started our own nonprofit because we were just too big to be under the umbrella. It was organic the way that it started, but now we have chapters in every state. I would love to hear more about specifically what Free Moms Hug does right now. You know, we hear how you started. Is it primarily showing up at Pride events with the shirt and the buttons? Tell us all about, because I know it's more than that, but tell us about all the things right now. Yeah, right now, the only requirement that we have for chapter leaders is that they be fully affirming. They'll celebrate the community, honor their marriage. And that they show up at pride festivals to celebrate the community, whether it's at a table or just showing up with your shirts on and offering out free hugs. And, but so much more, it turns into so much more than that because they'll get plugged into the community. Organizations will invite them to be a part of a, you know, welcome back to college night or a second chance prom. And we just love to be that loving presence in the lives. Nowadays, it's ending up just being more of a a peaceful demonstration to be a part of our state capitals. When laws are being passed that affect our families, we show up and just be that loving presence. And we work along with the human rights campaign. We equip our chapter leaders to make our words count because oftentimes, uh, whether it's a pride festival or peaceful demonstration, reporters there will ask to, you know, speak to a free mom hugs representative. And we want to make sure that we're, we're well-spoken and that our words count. And we send cards of encouragement. We have national pride rides. We're planning our first, very first free mom hugs conference to be held in here in Oklahoma city, where the birthplace of free mom hugs. And we advocate our mission statement is one that I love. And it says free mom hugs empowers the world to mm-hmm. celebrate the LGBTQIA community through visibility, through education and through conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, visibility, we have that down pat. We know how to be visible. This year, we are being intentional, focusing on our educational platforms and resources from equipping, redoing our website to have all those resources available because people are coming out, whether they're seven or 77, and we need to get the resources because what happens, like you found, Andrea, when we can pour into the community Mm. and the those that love and support them, that empowers and 
it's lasting and that's where the real growth comes from the 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 i want to say the spiritual growth but it's that too but right. it's just proved to be more healthy i always thought free mom hugs would be the bridge between the church and the gay community but that was always a conflict there was always a struggle i couldn't get anyone from the non affirming church to meet with the gay community so once we started focusing on the community and their families we've been very successful in the way of being fruitful. And so free mom hugs is a platform for people to show up. And I just couldn't be more pleased with the work of our volunteers worldwide. So just so people know that are listening, we'll put that link. You go to the free mom hugs website. There's a volunteer tab, but then you, you basically I've done this. So basically at least for me, Kansas, Missouri, it takes you to the Facebook page for your local chapter And you join that group and you see what's going on locally to get involved, correct? Yes. That will keep you in the loop of everything happening locally. We are working on our website and um, hopefully we'll have, well, I know not hopefully we will have eventually each chapter will have their own. We'll have our chapters websites on our website. So you can have a calendar of events because not everybody's on Facebook. So we're trying to make ways for everyone to be connected. Um, and we're just doing amazing things. I look forward to the future of free mom hugs, uh, because I can see the movement and the mission doing what it's intended to do. So I'm curious about that, how you keep your hopefulness. Like I know you're working hands-on with this family. So you see like up close and personal, I think when you step back and you look at, especially what's going on in this country with Florida, don't say gay. I mean, you're in Oklahoma when your son got married. It wasn't even gay marriage was not even legal in Oklahoma. And, you know, you would have thought maybe then, gosh, in 10 more years, like we're going to be so far ahead. I mean, sometimes I feel like we are like almost stepping back. I mean, I feel like the attacks, especially with trans youth, it can be what is going on. This is like we are going back. So speak into that a little bit. And yeah. Yeah, I I know that what we've talked about has just been an amazing. And if you could see me, you see I'm getting a little emotional because Everything that we do at Furry Mom Hugs, uh, we have the reality at the forefront of our mind yeah. every day. Just yesterday, I was on a call with a company just sharing the Free Mom Hug story. And near the end of the call, we have an opportunity where people can share their stories. And one young woman said that they were new to the company and they felt so happy because they, and they felt safe because they could have their picture on their desk of them and their partner, their same-sex mm-hmm. couple. They could have the picture out on their desk and they felt safe in their workplace to do so. And, but just as you hear stories like that, at the same time, another person shared how they are a gardener, that they work out in their yard a lot. A young man would pass by and they'd have small conversations and they got to know each other over time. But this person just found out that the young man committed suicide Mm -hmm. and they were transgender And the gardener, this beautiful soul said, if I would have known, I could have encouraged them. I would have, you know, done what I could to help them, to make them feel accepted. And we talked for a little while and then someone piped up, well, you know, what if you put a transgender flag, you know, just a small flag or a small memorial to that young person. And when people ask you about it, you can share that story. So it's things like that, that are the forefront of our mind. Now let's talk about politically what's happening politically. Now it's un 
unbelievable to me what's happening. I know it's going to be a rough couple of years, Andrea, but I know from the human rights campaign and the ACLU that 70%, listen, 70% of Americans want inclusion and diversity, equality, 70. That's huge. That's huge. But guess what? 60% of Americans have no idea there's an issue because either they don't know someone who's transgender or they're just not in this arena. Because trust me, someone in their life is gay or trans or bi. They just may not know it yet. So what's happening here is it's going to be a rough couple of years. We're going to come out on the other end of this. I'm positive of that. But what we need to be most concerned with is the target this puts on the back of our transgender friends and family the target this puts on the backs of the LGBTQ plus community and the fear and anxiety this instills in the community that are having their health debated, ways that they can make a living debated. You have mothers with transgender children making a list of where it's safe to raise their children. This is what we are. My most concern is this, is making sure that those people, these beautiful people know that there are more people in favor of them who want to stand with them and fight for them than that are against them. That's right. The damage that's being done, even by these conversations that are so harmful that we know it won't pass. It won't, it, it's short lived at best. I promise you. Okay. That does give me some hope because I'm I mean, not saying to take it lightly. I'm no, not, no, no, to- not at all. Cause I mean, I'm very immersed in reading in that news cycle and it's, it's horrifying, especially when you talk to the mothers of trans kids and what that's they're what not going to have access to. I mean, I like, it, and it just keeps happening. And so it, it is just, it can be really daunting and feel hopeless. And so I would also encourage people to research in, in these States and I don't know if maybe you have some research. I know I was just looking for Iowa, but um, yeah. that help these families access this this medical care by getting them in other states. Because unfortunately, privileged people are still going to be able to do that. It's these families that don't have the resources. So I would also encourage people to get involved that way. And maybe right. there's okay. in every state, there's an equality center, there's a, a diversity center. There's always going to be some place in every state. I don't care where you are. Yeah, it may take a little bit of digging if you're in Owasso, Oklahoma. But you're going to find them. There's going to be a support group there. And that's the network that you need to stay connected and support. If you can give, give to the organizations who are doing the work. I'm not talking about just free mom hugs, although, yes, we are a nonprofit. We need money, funding to support chapters in every state. But support those who are doing the work. The Human Rights Campaign, ACLU, PFLAG, your local uh, diversity center, get plugged in. This is a crucial time in history for our transgender friends and family. And if you think it's going to stop there, it won't. It will not. That's exactly right. Sarah, in our last few minutes, I'd love to bring this back to home. (laughs) And, you know, we, we can get very, you're still hopeful, but we can get overwhelmed with the legislation and what's going on. But let's just bring it back to what we as moms can do, trying to raise children in safe homes, loving homes. So I'd love to just hear your advice. You know, almost maybe if you could do it over and you could have raised your son in a, I don't want to, I don't want to put that shame on you, but just oh no, no. I I, advice to other moms who are like there, their son, daughter comes out to them at 10 and they want to make their home as safe as possible for them or their friends, whether they're transgender, queer, like wherever they fall on that umbrella. Yeah. So I'd love to hear just your advice now for that. Almost speaking to your younger self. 
Yes. Thank you. I love thinking about that, but what I would encourage parents first and foremost to make your home a safe place, offer the verbiage, the vocabulary and the space to have conversations like that. When you see a couple on a commercial over cereal, same sex couple, how you react to that is going to send a message to your kids, whether they are gay or not. And they'll know soon enough if they're, if their gay friends are going to be safe in your home, or if they feel safe as they're on that journey of self-discovery, allow people, your family and friends to know where you stand, go to pride, support the organizations who are doing the work, but most importantly, just let your family know where you stand. And when you see gay couples on movies and stuff like that, react positively because you know, who's, you never know who's watching. And secondly, as parents, you have right, you have a right to know what organizations are at your school. Do they have a bullying policy? Do they have a GSA group there? I mean, a lot of times Parker, he was only safe at school with certain teachers and the counselor. And uh, I don't think they had a GSA group at the time, but find out who those are. Find out if they have gay teachers represented at the school. Do they have representation matters and diversity matters in your school? in your church. If everyone in your place of worship looks like you, Houston, we have a problem, you know, um, things like that. Build relationships with gay couples, uh, people of color, just anyone who looks different than you. So you have a well-rounded, healthy child who knows the world around them and the beautiful diversity these beautiful people bring to our life, not just the gay community, but people of color. I mean, just surround yourself with people who look different than you. That's right. That's right. I love those. And I think, you know, two simple things, wearing the free mom's sex shirt, putting a small, uh, we have a little garden pride flag out front. Like people know kid, my daughter's friends coming in. know this is a safe place. People that drive by now, again, I live in a conservative neighborhood. I don't care. They really don't like it, but, but I don't care. Those are not the people I'm, I'm talking to and reaching out to. And I, and I also think again, my daughter, I have two daughters, 20 and 14, and fortunately raised a 20 year old in very much purity culture would have never, but I'm doing it differently with the 14 year old. And I'm very much aware that just having conversations with our kids that are all heteronormative, like that is, that is part of the the issue. So I'm very open with her. It is okay. Like that is not the expectation. So I think the more open conversations that we can have with our kids, it it will just do wonders to create that safe, safe space where they're willing to talk to you and tell you things and not hold these feelings and battle the self-harm and that. So Oh, I love that. I love that idea because you do see the difference. And once you see the oppression and discrimination in one area, then you see it everywhere. But I love that you saw that and you can ask yourself, why do I believe what I believe? Yeah. And you have to deconstruct and reconstruct that sometimes reclaim that, reclaim that faith, reclaim those devotionals, reclaim the music, reclaim all the things that that you need to, and some things you just got to let them go. And I will say that's where I see the hope is because there are so many queer pastors, Christian musicians, like they are reclaiming it. Like that is where I do see, okay, they're, we're not going into the shadows or like getting fear pushes mm-hmm. away. Like they are reclaiming it and you can find those safe places. And there are affirming churches, right? Really right. have the work cut out for them. So, I mean, if you go to a place of worship, consider, are they affirming or non-affirming? And why would you give your tithe and your time and your energy into an organization, a faith-based doctrine that's dangerous 
for our gay family and friends. So find an affirming church. If you want to worship there, listen, the first affirming church I went to, I cried hot tears because I stood next to an older same sex couple who had survived like conversion therapy, which is still legal sought out and paid for not far from where I live. Yeah. Probably in Owasso too. But anyway, I cried hot tears because they love the Lord. They were worshiping and singing. It was great. Oh, Sarah, our time is coming to an end. You are just such a beautiful soul. I watched a video this morning of you. I don't know. It was online of one of your early pride parades and you hugging and just oh, the, the, the beautiful humans that were coming out to you. And I thought this woman embodies love like that. That is you do. And when we talk about God or Jesus and embodying love, I mean, you, you do that. So thank you. Thank you for your work and being that example, Sarah. Uh, so tell us website that you can be found any places people should go. And we'll make sure to put that in the, in the show links. Yeah. The go to freemomhugs.org. You can find your state chapter. You can find the merchandise that helps support the organization. You can make a donation or send any questions you might have. Again, our website is under construction, but we should have the basics there, but please keep following there. I do have my book. I have it. I'd rather send you a signed copy. If you want to send me a Venmo, I I don't know the address right off the top of my head, but I'll send it to you if that's okay. I would love that, Sarah. I have it on my, uh, oh, what is that? My iPad thing, but I would love a signed copy from you. Thank you. Be sure and send me your address. I would love okay. to do that. Okay. Okay. But I'll, if it's okay, I'll send you my Venmo. Yeah. Only, you can get it on Amazon, but I would, I have them. So, here. so for listeners that want a signed copy, you're saying listeners can get a signed copy too? Just for, yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll put, so instead of putting the Amazon link, you want me to put a link to your Venmo? Is that what you, yeah. And Absolutely. I'll send that and I would just rather send it. And that way, you know, I get the proceeds from it. No, no, no. I love that. And we don't have to support Amazon. (laughs) We don't have to. So I love supporting you with that. Oh, thank Thank you you so much, Sarah, for this time. Thank you. Send me your address. And Andrea, thanks for being such a beautiful mom and just really representing the heart of free mom hugs and what you do. Mm. So bless you. Bless you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for listening in on our conversation with an open heart and mind. I encourage you to check out the Free Mom Hugs website and get involved in your local chapter. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode at HerStorySpeaks.com. Sarah gave me lots of resources such as books and websites to share with the listeners, and they're all listed for this episode under the show notes.